Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Whenever a marriage falls apart, it can be difficult for both parties if they want to maintain any kind of civil relationship going forward, especially if there are kids involved. For as tense as that can make the situation, usually neither party has to worry about being murdered by the other. Sadly though, in the case of Stephen Williams and Trisha Todd, that would not be a guarantee they could rely on. This is Monsters. For 11 years, the Williams household had been a happy one. But then why wouldn't it be? Because Stephen and Trisha hadn't just met randomly sometime prior. No, they'd been friends all the way back since childhood. Because of that, they shared a bond most couples could never dream of. That's exactly why when they finally tied the knot, it felt like the most natural thing in the world. But not all good things last forever, and it was just over a decade after their wedding, things had reached a point where Stephen and Trisha could no longer continue on with their vows. Of course, what made that a difficult situation was that they also had a two-year-old daughter named Faith who they were raising together. Even if there was now a child involved, both agreed it was still in the best interests of everyone that they separated while they were still on relatively good terms with each other. That way, they could at least maintain some kind of civil relationship going forward for the good of their little girl. And that's exactly what they did, with Stephen choosing to remain in North Carolina and maintain his job in the Air Force after the divorce was finalized, all while Trisha quit her role in the same service and got a new position as a registered nurse in a hospice in Hobe Sound, Florida, the place that Trisha and Stephen had grown up and still had family. While it meant Stephen wouldn't be able to see his daughter as much as he'd have liked, they'd still only be a relatively short drive away whenever he got time off. Still, even with that taken into account, it must have been somewhat difficult to see the two people closest to him now not being there on a regular basis. That was why he planned to take advantage of every opportunity he could to go visit. Trips over to Hope Sound were becoming a regular thing for Stephen whenever his military duties weren't taking up his time. And for the most part, those trips would go about as well as anyone could have hoped, with him getting to spend valuable time with his daughter, all while he and Trisha were able to maintain a sense of what had once been. What took place on April 26, 2016 would change all that as it would be on that day each of their lives would be altered forever. 
Basically, it would all start out normal enough when Stephen began the drive from North Carolina to Florida earlier that morning and eventually found himself in an Airbnb he'd booked for the week. Once he got himself settled in, he went over to Trisha's house and was there reunited with his family once more. As it happened, he'd end up staying with Faith for the entire evening as Trisha had some work-related things to take care of, with the agreement between the former couple being that Stephen would take Faith back to his Airbnb with him, then leave her with a babysitter the following morning, allowing Trisha to pick her up later that afternoon. Unfortunately, though, when the next day came and the time arrived for Faith to be collected, her mother didn't show, something the babysitter found very unusual as she was normally incredibly punctual. Once the sitter contacted Trisha's family to see if they'd heard from her, alarm bells began to go off for them as well. So that was why, upon discovering she was AWOL, they went around to her house to see if she was there, but would quickly discover she was nowhere to be found. Even that wasn't the strangest and most troubling aspect of the entire situation, though, as upon closer inspection, the Todd family noticed that Trisha's car, while there, wasn't parked in its usual space. It had been positioned across the street instead for some reason, and what's more, it still had the keys in the ignition, and inside lay her purse, something she wouldn't normally leave behind if she was going somewhere. She also wouldn't leave all the house lights on and her groceries out on the countertop either if she was leaving in a hurry, which is exactly the situation that was found in her kitchen upon entry into her home. At that point, the mild concern Trisha's family had now reached levels of outright worry, so they formally reported her missing with the police. That led to a case being opened as the cops began investigating where she might have gone. Of course, they weren't the only ones looking for any sign of the missing young woman at that point, though. Aside from the team of investigators who were assigned to the case, hundreds more volunteers soon joined in with the search efforts too, with them helping to canvas thousands of acres of land over the next few days in hopes they'd find any evidence as to what had caused her to disappear. While these canvassing attempts would ultimately come up with nothing, one thing that did give the authorities a lead they could follow up on was the aforementioned fact that upon first inspecting Trisha's home, her family had found her groceries still laid out on her kitchen countertop, meaning she'd likely been to a nearby store recently before going missing. So after doing some investigative work and figuring out which store it was, detectives traveled there and asked to see the security footage from the prior evening, with that footage indeed showing the mother of one shopping and appearing to be under no signs of obvious distress. While that was a positive sign for the family, it ultimately only led to more questions. After all, if Trisha appeared to be doing fine while picking up some food and supplies the night before, what could have possibly happened to her during the intervening time that would make her abandon her home, her car, her purse, and her daughter without warning just a few hours later? Had she been kidnapped, or had she gotten herself injured and was lying in a ditch somewhere desperately hoping for help to come along? These were just two of the many scenarios that were now racing through the minds of her loved ones. Maybe they feared she'd even had some kind of psychotic break and decided to walk away from her life on a whim. Anything seemed possible at that point. Of course, one person who hadn't been questioned yet who could surely provide some valuable insight into her whereabouts was her ex-husband, Stephen Williams. So that was exactly why the investigator's next step was to travel to his nearby Airbnb, explain the situation to him, and ask him if he could tell them anything that might help their investigation. In the end, he wasn't able to give them much as, while he did confirm Trisha had been there for a brief period of time the prior evening, 
According to him, she left pretty quickly in order to attend to other issues. That was something that was at least partially confirmed by both a later report from a neighbor who said he saw her car leaving the scene, and cell phone records that showed she was indeed on the premises for a little while. Outside of that information, though, Stephen claimed he didn't know anything about her whereabouts. In fact, as far as he was concerned, he'd assumed she'd picked up their daughter from the babysitter that morning and that the two were now spending the day together. Clearly, that was not the case, though. So pushing harder for more information, detectives continued to ask him additional questions about where his ex-wife might have gone. It was at that point he revealed she liked to go out for long walks in order to connect with God, a fact that would later be confirmed by the rest of her family. That specific detail wasn't a great lead, but at least it was something. So taking it and getting every ounce of juice they could from it, the investigation team began searching out areas Trisha had been known to go walking in the past. That soon led them to a nearby beach that she liked to frequent, a beach where, as it happened, a somewhat mysterious local man had been known to converse with her. For as much as that may have initially seemed like an important fact, that man was eventually cleared of any suspicion when security footage revealed he'd had no contact with Trisha on the night of her disappearance. No, rather that same footage showed him sitting on the beach watching turtle eggs, with there being no sign of his occasional talking companion in sight. With that lead turning out to be a dead end, police began looking at other possible avenues that might have led to her disappearance. Avenues that included any and all other men in her life. After all, whenever a young woman goes missing, it's often related to some kind of romantic situation gone wrong and the investigators knew their odds were highest focusing on that aspect of Trisha's life. Still though, even with all that taken into account, Stephen was not treated as a person of interest yet. As far as the authorities were concerned, there was no reason to suspect he had any involvement in any kind of wrongdoing. And that was largely because, as a respected career military man with an impeccable record, there was no reason to believe he'd done anything wrong. As far as authorities saw, the breakup with Trisha appeared to be so amicable that she'd even declined any alimony payments from him, something that only served to make him seem all the more trustworthy and reliable of a person. People get divorced for any number of reasons, but the dynamics of your relationship post, I don't even want to call it divorce because you were separated for a longer period of time, that was fairly amicable. I mean, you all got along? Sometimes. Uh, I don't know why, but whenever we were in person, she was very nice and very amicable. Yeah. But anytime, like via Skype or over the phone, it was she was a different person. Um, it was more of a, you need to do this and you have to do that and you owe me this, and I'm thinking, I don't know you anything. Like I've given you everything I'm supposed to. I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and then some. And I don't know why you feel like I still owe you something, or why I'm still obligated to do something for you. You know. So, you, did you have a child sharing arrangement and child uh, support payments that you had to make, and all that? Yes. And you were making all that, of course. Okay. But that wasn't the only reason Stephen came across as trustworthy to the investigation team. No, once questioned by them, he personally offered to take a lie detector test in order to confirm his innocence, something he passed with flying colors. Of course, this is exactly why polygraph tests aren't admissible in court. They're a history of unreliable results. After that, as far as the authorities could tell, Stephen was just a father who wanted to take care of his daughter, and if that meant maintaining a stable relationship with his ex-wife, then that's what he had to do. 
Obviously, then, maintaining such a relationship wouldn't involve hurting her in any way, as that would be counterproductive to his goal. And anyway, there was no sense the two had any kind of lingering tensions between them, so there was no reason to suspect there was foul play afoot. That was, until Trisha's secret diary was discovered. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Upon uncovering her journal, things started to get a lot more interesting as facts about her situation that were unknown to her family were suddenly thrust into the light. And of those facts, one of the most interesting was the realization that there was another potential new lover in her life that nobody else had known about. As she put it though, that budding relationship had not been going well as of late, with her describing the issues between them as, quote, this painful love affair. It's a Pisces and Scorpio thing. Are you happy? I've never had a deep blue love affair with a true Scorpio that didn't feel this way. Still, even if there were problems, it was clear based on previous entries that Trisha was very much in love with the man anyway. As Lieutenant Mike Dougherty, one of the key investigators working on the case, put it, quote, she was obsessed with him. She loved everything about this man. So, I mean, we followed this guy everywhere, and we hoped maybe Trisha Todd would show up wherever he was. The reality of the situation was that the man was a local musician that some thought Trisha was becoming obsessed with. Investigators learned that she was planning to go to one of his upcoming shows and was going to profess her love for him at the show. The authorities didn't know what to think about the man that Trisha was so fond of, but went to the show hoping that Trisha would show up as planned. Unfortunately, she never did. When investigators questioned the musician, he told them that he might have talked to her once at a show, but didn't really know her. She had sent him a Facebook friend request, but he denied it because he didn't know who she was. At that point, he was ruled out as a suspect, leaving the investigation back at square one. Except they weren't quite back at square one, as Trisha's journal entries did hold some further revelations that were of interest to anyone paying attention. Revelations that became the main focus of the investigation. They found out, despite the breakup from Stephen appearing on the surface as being an amicable one, things she'd written down over the prior few months now suggested that wasn't necessarily the case after all. According to her writings, the separation had far darker implications as it wasn't merely a result of the two drifting apart. Rather, Trisha alleged she'd been physically abused by her husband in the past, with him at one point even going so far as to kick her in the stomach while she was pregnant with their child. And if that wasn't bad enough, she also wrote that he'd been abusive to their pets too, with him strangling and killing two of their dogs at various points, one of them while in her presence in an attempt to show superiority over her. Obviously then, if true, that cast Stephen in an entirely new light that made him a potential suspect in the disappearance of his ex-wife, as anyone with a history of violence like that certainly had to be treated with a healthy sense of wariness. 
That wariness was only increased once the investigation team learned of another crucial new detail in the case, and that was the car that the neighbor had seen driving away from his Airbnb on the night Trisha went missing wasn't being driven by her at all. No, it was actually being driven by him. As it turned out, a second witness was able to corroborate the fact that the car had been there, but as they described it, it was a man fitting Stephen's description who had been behind the wheel when it pulled away. Why hadn't Stephen told the police about that when initially questioned? Well, that was something they now wanted to know themselves. Before they confronted him with the new information, though, realizing he likely had a bigger part to play in whatever had happened, the investigators sought out further evidence that might help them if it came time to place Stephen under arrest. As it happened, they would find a wealth of this, first from security footage of him driving Trisha's car. As if that wasn't enough, further security cam footage that was later uncovered also placed Stephen near the home of his ex-wife later that evening, a place he had no reason to be if he was meant to be in his Airbnb looking after their daughter. But that wasn't all, because on top of that footage, a subsequent interview with Stephen's mother would also reveal that he hated his ex-wife and had talked openly about how he wanted her to disappear. According to her, there was a real sense of bitterness between the pair that had existed for some time. Bitterness that ran so deep he was willing to get violent if need be in order to ensure he got what he wanted. By that point, Stephen had called Trisha's brother and told him he was coming down to pick up Faith, but the authorities knew they could not let him take the little girl. Feeling like they had enough solid evidence, detectives picked Stephen up and brought him in for more questioning. This is where Steven begins to weave one of the outright most idiotic stories that I've ever heard. In this story, he claimed to have been out of the house for a few hours while two-year-old Faith was left at the Airbnb alone, asleep. At that point, Steven was arrested for child neglect and he was interrogated about what really happened to Trisha. Stephen concocted a story about Trisha coming over to the Airbnb that he was staying in, and while she was there, she asked Stephen to run to her house and pick up her work laptop. He took her car as it had been parked behind him in the driveway of the rental. As he was driving there, he decided it was stupid and turned around to go back to the Airbnb. On his way back, he noticed that the car was almost out of gas, so when he got back to the rental, he told Trisha that she needed gas, and she gave him $20 to drive his own car to the gas station to buy a gas can and some gas. It took a few minutes to go to the station, and when he returned, he walked into the Airbnb where he saw Trisha laying face down on the living room floor. And I'm looking towards the kitchen, and I go back to that other area I, don't, I guess the living room area technically mm -hmm. and when i look to my right i can see that she's laying on the floor and i'm thinking what the like what i don't really have words at that point face down know. face up what she's face down what's she wearing she still has on her dress uh any jewelry on her anything i don't remember seeing her wearing any jewelry okay i'm sorry face down you said yes okay so i just kind of roll her to see what's going on and i see that she has a a thing on her head. What describe the thing? Like a, it's, it's a small cut. Was it bleeding? Barely, not much. Okay. Was um, there blood on the floor? A little bit. Uh, okay. And but, here is it. We didn't find any blood, and I can, you know, I won't vouch for many law enforcement agencies, but the crime scene unit here is pretty good, and generally they'll find blood, even if it's been cleaned up. Did Did you clean it up? 
after the fact, like when I came back later, um, I just cleaned it. What did you clean it with? Uh, there was, she had a plethora of cleaners, but I just didn't want it to smell. And I know in the past when I had my mom's house, when the dumpster got smelly, you just pour a little ammonia in there and it fixes the smell and it kills all the bugs. It also so, kills DNA? I don't know that. I just oh. used it for the smell. Like, I know it gets rid of smell out of it. Are you talking about just a little teeny bit amount of blood? You were worried about the smell of that? I figured it would smell. I don't know. Okay. I know if you leave chicken in the trash can, it smells terrible the next day. Yeah, so. I mean, well, come on, man. We're not talking about chicken first. There's a little drop of blood, but I don't, I don't know. I just, she's got a cut on her forehead. I just wanted it wiped up. Did it appear, what was in the vicinity of this area? Did she hit her head on something? Was it just the floor? I didn't even take time to analyze how or whatever. Okay. I just, I, I went into panic. He cleaned the small drops of blood with ammonia because he didn't want it to smell? Sure. Anyway, he went on to tell the detectives that Trisha was unresponsive, but that she was breathing, so he loaded her into her car, grabbed his backpack that he put a bottle of water and some Kashi bars into, and intended to drive Trisha home. He claimed that he thought she was trying to set him up somehow, like she roofied herself and was going to claim he assaulted her or something and he wasn't about to let that happen. So he was going to drive her home and leave her in the car so she would wake up there and her plan would be foiled. He brought the water and snack bars in case she woke up and needed them, despite his backpack being filled with more clothes, which he later threw in a dumpster. It seemed he used the gas in the gas can in the car, so he only had a few gallons of gas. Apparently, at some point, instead of taking Trisha home, Stephen chose to drive her out onto a dark road in the middle of nowhere and claimed he left her on the ground. No, show me, show me as best as you can. How did you leave her? I just laid her down. She had her dress, and I laid her down on her back, and I just put her hands down. And that way she had her things. They were all like... Right, just and what things are those? What did you leave with her? Her phone and her wallet. So she had ID. She had money if she needed it, I guess. She had her phone so she could call for a ride. His story was that he thought she had died, but in case he was wrong, he left her phone and her wallet on her so she would be able to call for help or pay for a ride. Let me try to explain this clearly. Supposedly, at the point he started believing that she died... Instead of taking her home and leaving her in her car there, where, if he was wrong, she would have woken up somewhere safe, uh, you know, like her home, instead, he drove her out to an unknown dark road and left her there, leaving her phone and wallet in case she was alive. She'd be able to call for a ride, because he took her car and then parked it at her house before walking back to the Airbnb. What the actual fuck is he talking about? Now, of course, the investigators aren't buying any of this, but still, they want to know where Stevens supposedly left Trisha. Something he conveniently can't remember. If just me and you go, just me and you go, I'll, I'll take you right now. Just me and you. You take me to her? I can't take you to a place I don't know. That's the problem. I don't know where that place is. I can't point to it on a map because I don't know where it is. I'm not asking you to point to it on a map. I can't take you to it because I don't know where it is. I don't have a clue where that you is. You have to have some kind of clue. I cannot believe that. Do you think that a jury's going to believe that? That I you have no idea where you to, But that's the what, problem. What, if I could tell Wouldn't you, you want them to? Wouldn't you, don't you want closure on this? Don't could, you want closure? If I could closure? tell you, I would tell you. If I could show you, I would show you. But I, I don't know where that is. 
driving around today. None of that looked okay. in any way familiar. Is it, is it because that there wouldn't be anything of her left? There should be. I remember I just I just laid her down and I crossed her hands and I left her things with her, her phone and her, her wallet. And then I just I just sat and I just I just left because I was hoping that I was wrong and that like she was going to be okay and that it was just I don't know that it was just like a spell or so I don't know what. I look. I want to believe you. I I really I really do. I want to believe you. And you know I know you've you've said this over and over again. But just you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna give you. You've got the stage here. You tell me, you tell me from soup to nuts. I want to know everything that happened. And is there something you left out before? There's something you left out before. Now's the time to bring it. Now, some people might think, well, he's visiting from out of town, so it's reasonable that he might not know where he left her since he's unfamiliar with the area. The only problem is that you have to remember that this is where Stephen and Trisha had grown up, having known each other since childhood. Yet still, Stephen is adamant that not only does he not remember where he left her body, but he doesn't remember how long it took him to drive there and back. It makes no sense, and the detectives are very clear that they don't believe him. Why didn't you tell them that the first time? Because I had no way to explain how that happened. I had no way to explain how I come back and she's on the floor, other than them just assuming I did it. And I would never do that to her. I would never hurt her. It's just not me. I don't. I right, which make which way. makes which makes it even more reasonable that you would have told him that from the outset. I've never hurt this woman. I love this woman. I would never do anything to this woman. I came in and she's laying on the floor. Let me let me make it one step easier. Where is your where is your cell phone at this moment? Somewhere in the home. In the home, right? When what about the house itself? Does the bed and breakfast have a landline? I honestly don't know. Okay, but you know, you, you're a sharp kid. You know, nine one one, boom, cops are there, ambulance. She gets treatment, right? But I didn't. Hold on. So. You just. I'm going to ask the question just simply, but you know that's how nine one one works, right? Yes. You pick up the phone. You call them. You say there's something wrong with my ex-wife. Please send an ambulance, right? Yes. And you did not do that, right? No. Now, again, I'm going to get up and I'm going to take your seat. You're going to sit here. Come on. Because of how it looks, all I thought about at that moment is how does this look? You, you can't fix how this looks. There's no other way to say... Here's the problem with that. I, I, okay, fine. That, okay, I'm, I'll concede that for the purpose of our conversation here, but you told them she's still breathing. I checked. It was just shallow. Okay, but my point is she's alive. You had an opportunity to save her life by simply calling 911. And how it looks comes out in the wash. I mean, you say she fell down or whatever. I mean, what, what happened to her in eight minutes from when you left to get gas and you come back see her on the floor? I don't know, and that's the problem. Because all I'm thinking is, in the past, she... This, this is this is a game. This is some sort of like, I'm setting you up. I'm I'm killing myself. I'm going to kill myself to set no, you up. I don't think she was intended to kill herself, but I just feel like she did something. It didn't work the way she intended it. It went too far or whatever, and now it's I'm screwed because I can't explain this. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Steven spent more than three hours claiming that he had no other option because if he alerted the authorities, they would have thought he attacked her. He claimed that she had previously tried to set him up to get wrongly arrested and that he assumed she was doing that again. But it turns out that none of that is true. This probably won't come as a shock, but Steven is full of shit. Your conscience never kicked in and said shit. Maybe she's still alive. Maybe I should take this opportunity to save a human life. Not just a human, but the mother of my child. Did, you, did that ever kick in in the two hours? When you're driving around with her in the backseat of your car? So you're insinuating because I didn't think that I don't have a conscience? It's, well, well, yeah, no, I'm not insinuating, I'm saying it. That doesn't mean I don't have a conscience. Of course I have a conscience. It just, that thought never came to me. How could, what could be more important in the grand scheme of things than the preservation of human life? And I'm talking human life for somebody you don't even know. Not somebody who is the mother of your now orphan child or motherless child, I should say. So it's, I'm not asking just randomly, how would you feel about this, Mr. Williams? I'm saying if two hours with her in the backseat of this car, it never dawned on you, shit. I'll just have to deal with the consequences. I hope they believe me, but I need to see what I can do to save her life. That never dawned on you. Didn't know what to do to save her life. Oh, let's see. 911. Did you have your phone with you when you were out here? I didn't even think to grab it. No, you didn't think to grab it. And you know why? Because you know we can follow you with your phone. You know that, right? I mean, everybody knows that we can follow a cell phone. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. I grabbed food in case she woke up. Yes. But, But you didn't take your phone with you. How can you claim to have a conscience and also claim to have never thought about getting an unconscious, injured person medical treatment? The thought never crossed his mind. He said, quote, I didn't know what to do to save her life. Meaning, he didn't know what to do that didn't involve alerting the authorities. He has no conscience. He only thinks about himself. Of course, this is all based on the idea that his convoluted story is true, which we all know it isn't. Another thing that came up in his interrogation is the fact that Trisha's phone was in the car. He claimed that he couldn't have used her phone because he had turned it off. He said he couldn't turn it back on because he didn't know her password. Now, it is explained by one of the detectives that you can call 911 from a locked phone. But that's not the important detail here. The important detail is why Stephen turned off Trisha's phone. He claimed that he turned it off because he didn't need it. So you turned it off? If somebody else's phone is lying around and I don't need it, I leave it the fuck alone. I don't turn it off. He turned it off because he didn't want it tracked. The same reason he didn't bring his own phone with him. Steven stuck to his guns for a long time with this story, but eventually a different detective came in and told him they had evidence that proved he was at the Airbnb when Trisha died. Given how bad it looked based on the evidence that had been uncovered, it didn't take long for him to crack and finally confess to what he had done, which had been to kill Trisha during an argument and then attempt to get rid of her body after the fact. 
Of course, initially, he claimed it had been an accident and that after a heated argument between the two got a little out of control, he'd knocked her over and caused her to hit her head, something that killed her instantly. I go to push her away and then she gets really pissed about that. And then she gets even more aggressive and in my face and pushing me back. And I'm like, would you please just stop? Like, I don't want, I don't want this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're so mad. I don't know if you, if you took a freaking crazy pill on the way over here and that really pissed her off and uh, it just, it just escalated. And then I just moved her away and then she slipped. And that's when she freaking fell. And I'm like, oh shit, I asked her if she was okay. It was like a weird sound. She didn't say anything though. And then I freaking panicked. And then I, I just freaking panicked because I didn't read, I didn't try to hurt you. I just wanted you to stop being here in my face, yelling at me as I'm trying to back away. I'm trying to de-escalate. I don't want, whatever this is, it's not, it's not this serious. I don't know why it's so serious about this money. It's always been so like, even throughout the divorce, every penny has just been so serious about her trying to get every dollar. Right. And I'm like, and now I made a mistake and I sent the check to the wrong address because I didn't know that wasn't a mailing address. And I, I can't explain where it is because I didn't even get it back in the mail until a week after that. And it, it just, it just went so fast. And then I pushed her and then I didn't push, push. I was just trying to get her away. Just please stop yelling Some in my space. face. It's like, just, you know, like if she was at that distance, fine, but she wasn't. She's just right here the face. whole time. And I'm like, please just stop. And so I went to move her away and she slipped and she hit her head. And I didn't mean for that. That wasn't my freaking fault. I wasn't. And then all I'm thinking is, great, now I've pushed her and she's hurt her head and, and I'm done. I'm just, everything I've tried to do, everything I've tried to be is done because I made a mistake. I didn't even really even lose my cool. I just tried to move you away. I just didn't, didn't watch it those questioning him immediately had their doubts about the veracity of such a claim, but there was a period of time where they continued on with the investigation based on this story. They even put Stephen in a car and drove him around, trying to find where he had placed Trisha's body, but he was still claiming to not remember where that was. I have to. I can't because I don't know where this place is. I don't remember where. I don't even know anything out here. All I know is this place is dark and dusty, according to what Mike says. And I'm like, okay, but that doesn't, I don't know. There's headlights though. You can, you gotta have some, you gotta have at least some view. Are there fences? Were there trees? Was there a ditch? Was there a little bank like this? You've got to remember a little bit more than just, I don't know, it was dark and dusty. And, and you didn't even tell didn't me about it being dusty. It out. I just remember it was dark Steven, and it was you dusty. You didn't even tell me about it being dusty until I mentioned to you that the car had a bunch of dust and vegetation underneath it. Because it was a dusty road. The road was dusty. Because of his refusal to take them to Trisha's body, they pushed him further, with their continued probing eventually getting him to admit it wasn't accidental after all and that the death of Trisha had indeed been premeditated. Now that the investigators had gotten the confession they were looking for, it only added further questions. They wanted to know how the killer had been able to evade suspicion early on, especially how he was able to pass the lie detector test. It turned out that Stephen was able to beat the test by using Neurontin, a drug that was able to successfully calm his nerves to the point his guilt became imperceptible. 
After that, he finally told the investigators what had really happened on the night of April 26th. He explained how his visit to Florida that week had never actually been planned with the intention of seeing his daughter at all. No, it had always been about killing his ex-wife. He told the investigators that he wasn't happy not having full custody of Faith. Stephen believed that she should have been living with him instead of Trisha, and he saw their current situation as a huge sign of disrespect, especially as he believed himself to be the better parent of the two. According to him, the fact that Trisha had custody of their child was something she took a great sense of pride over and that had led her to constantly belittling her ex-husband as a result, something that only angered him further. Of course, that wasn't the only reason Stephen alleged he'd decided to do what he did. He would also tell investigators that he didn't want to pay child support any longer. Then he went on to describe exactly what did happen the night of Trisha's disappearance. Trisha left Stephen with Faith on the evening of the 26th, but later that night, he'd called her and asked her to return shortly after, claiming that Faith was sick. That was why the groceries were left on the counter in her home. She rushed out, thinking her child needed her. Once she arrived at the Airbnb, Stephen led her into his accommodation, then immediately knocked her unconscious. Following that, he waited until she woke up and at that point demanded she give him her email password, with his reasoning that he wanted to set up an alibi by sending a message to everyone in her address book explaining she had left of her own accord, having traveled to Haiti on a mission trip. That never happened, though, because rather than give over her password, instead she began screaming for help. Stephen quickly beat her on the head with a club until she went quiet and then strangled her to death. Now that he had carried out his plan to kill his ex-wife, there was still the issue of the body to deal with. Luckily for him, however, he'd planned ahead for that by bringing with him all the necessary supplies he needed in order to get rid of any evidence. Supplies that included trash bags, acid, and perhaps most chillingly, a chainsaw. That's right, his plan was to cut up Trisha's body so it could be more easily disposed of. He would also specifically use the chainsaw to cut up her hands and feet so as to make it more difficult to identify her. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. At around 2 a.m. with their two-year-old daughter asleep in the Airbnb, he loaded Trisha and the supplies into her car. All as the neighbor who later provided testimony to the police watched him drive away, fully unaware of the horrors that had just occurred inside the house. Stephen drove over to the nearby Hungryland Wildlife Reserve where he had already dug a large hole the day before, proving this to be a premeditated murder. That would be coupled with the fact that he purchased a chainsaw, a reciprocating saw, and the acid prior to his trip down and brought it with him. At the preserve, he cut up Trisha's body, put it into a plastic toad, and poured the acid into it with her. Then he put the toad in the hole and buried it. Obviously then, following him revealing this information to the police, Stephen Williams was formally placed under arrest and charged with the murder of Trisha Todd. Even if the killer had now been caught, 
That wasn't the end of the pain for Trisha's family, as they still wanted to recover her remains in order to give her a proper burial. So, in exchange for pleading no contest to the lesser charge of second-degree murder, the district attorney made an agreement with Stephen in which he would lead them directly to the burial site so they could exhume what was left of her and give her family some kind of peace. Once they got there, however, and saw the full scope of what he had done, those same officers started having doubts about offering any such deal at all. That was because what they found on the scene was so horrific, so savage in its nature, it brought them to the point of nausea. Inside that 2 by 3 plastic box lay the severely mutilated corpse of Trisha Todd, a corpse that was now barely recognizable as human in parts due to the degradation caused by the acid. As if the sight and the stench of the acid ruined flesh and bone wasn't hard enough for the first men on the scene to deal with, there was also the fact that her teeth and fingertips had been randomly scattered around the area too, meaning they would occasionally stumble upon one of them during the course of their time there and upon realizing what it was they found, felt even more ill as a result. As the lead investigators on the scene, two otherwise hardened law enforcement officials put it themselves, quote, we ultimately dug it up, opened up the container, and that's when we saw her torso. And they located the fingertips and teeth mixed in with the gravel and the shell rock right here. They found the chainsaw and the reciprocating saw that he used to cut her up, and in the reciprocating saw was actually Trisha's hair and some remains. Some portions of her in the saw blades. If we knew the drastic measures that he went through, how violent it was, we absolutely would not have offered him a deal. He would undoubtedly be on his way to death row. Obviously, that was a traumatic scene, one that stirred up a lot of complex emotions. But having a job to do, the investigators and everyone else there had no choice but to power on anyway and move the remains away to where they could be later handled by the family of Trisha in a manner they considered to be more befitting of her. As they were doing that, the true news of what had occurred was beginning to leak to the media, causing a variety of reactions from everyone and anyone who knew the Williams family. The Air Force would quickly release a written statement decrying the actions of Stephen Williams, with them confirming at that point that they were working with the authorities in order to not only help bring him to justice, but also to help the family of Trisha find peace in any possible way they could. When it came to the family of the deceased themselves, they'd obviously be more devastated than most by the news. Now, with them at least having some closure on the matter, they were able to start working through everything in a more positive way, especially as they were given full custody of Faith. After the true horror of what had happened to Trisha was revealed, authorities regretted the deal they made with Stephen, and the district attorney argued in court that it shouldn't be honored. According to the Martin County Sheriff, their plea deal was for Stephen to show detectives the location of Trisha's remains, but he only led them to part of her body. Her entire remains have never been recovered. The judge delayed the sentencing to give authorities more time to evaluate the remains, but eventually the plea agreement was upheld. After that, the only thing left to worry about was the sentencing itself, but even that wouldn't be as clear-cut and quick as had initially been hoped because after the defense team requested mental health evaluations be carried out on Stephen while he was being temporarily held at Martin County Jail, the court felt like they had no option but to approve it. After all, given the extremeness of his crime and the seemingly out-of-nowhere nature of it, there was a good chance he was suffering from some kind of serious mental health problem. 
Of course, if he was deemed insane, that might lead him to getting a lesser sentence or not being convicted at all. Thankfully then, much to the joy of the prosecution and everyone associated with them, the evaluation showed Stephen Williams was not insane at the time of the murder. Yes, time had finally run out for the accused and he was sentenced to 35 years in prison on one count of second-degree murder and a separate count of child neglect. During his sentencing, Circuit Judge Lawrence Merman said the sentence was, quote, clearly less than full justice. Sure, his 130 days in county jail would be removed from that number as time served, but that was of little solace to the convicted by then as he was still looking at what may very well have been the rest of his natural life behind bars. On top of that, as part of their case, the prosecution had also requested Stephen personally cover the more than $67,000 the Martin County Sheriff's Office had paid out over the course of their investigation. That meant that any prison work he carried out would mostly be going towards paying off that debt and not towards buying him any little luxuries while he was locked up. Given what he had done, that was pretty much what he deserved, according to most people. In fact, the general feeling amongst the local populace seemed to be that if they had it their way, the situation would have gone even worse. Not so for David Todd, however, the father of Trisha. No, despite the tragedy which had befallen him, he was able to find it in his heart to forgive Stephen, at least to some extent, when he stated at the trial that he still ultimately wanted the best for his former son-in-law. In his own words, when addressing Stephen, he would say, quote, I have failed you. You were my son-in-law. I pray that God will touch your heart. When later asked to further elaborate on that statement after the trial was over, he added that he'd always found Stephen to be a perfect gentleman who was patient, kind, and thoughtful to his daughter, and that he would have never suspected he was capable of such a thing, even in his darkest days. He told members of the press, quote, He was like a model person. I had no idea that he would have killed her. I really hope that he doesn't get out again and kill someone else. I hope he can change by finding happiness through faith and taking advantage of educational opportunities available to him in prison over the next few decades. And David Todd wasn't the only one who had a measure of empathy for Stephen. No, the now-convicted murderer's father, Jack Williams, was also in shock over what had taken place and was struggling to reconcile with the boy he knew. He had hoped to talk about that himself at the trial by taking the stand. However, his request would ultimately be denied on account of the defense refusing to call any witnesses. Instead, he had to make his thoughts heard after the sentencing was over, with him stating, quote, I was just going to say to the family that I appreciate the prayers that the father bestowed on my child. I pray for my child every night. The only person who knows what happened is him and God. I just want my son to know I love him and he does have support. Despite the U.S. Air Force having the ability to also prosecute Stephen Williams as he was on active duty at the time of the murder, they have refused to move forward with any charges. During their interview with Stephen while he was in custody, he made a full confession describing exactly how he had purchased the tools to dismember her months ahead of time and drove down to Florida fully planning to murder, chop up, and bury his ex-wife they would easily be able to convict Stephen in military court and sentence him to death, but for some reason, they're unwilling to do so. According to her grandfather, David, who has since given over custody of faith to his son Jonathan and his wife, she has continued to do great in spite of what she may have been witness to, and she doesn't appear to have suffered any long-term negative effects of such an incident. 
Sure, she does have to live a life without any of her biological parents, but with a loving family around her, that has been made a lot easier. As she gets older, she'll ultimately be forced to deal with the stigma of who her father is and what he did, and they'll be there to support her through the process each step of the way. We can only hope that with Stephen Williams remaining behind bars for decades, he won't be able to cause any more pain. And maybe, if he's eventually able to fully understand the magnitude of what he did, he might even be able to find redemption. Though that last part would take a lot of soul-searching and a lot of atonement, levels of which honestly may not even be possible for a monster like him. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.